Hello and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. Alright, in this episode we're going to take some questions we got from the listeners, and we got a ton of them, hence doing it its own episode. We've got a few from Jason Z. The first one is, what did you guys think of Warlock Rebirth number one? How does the series compare to the early 90s rendition of the characters? Would you recommend it to for someone who enjoyed Warlock during the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade era? Now, I'm, I was going to tell you what I thought first, John, because sure. I, I, I think this question is better suited to you. Now, I never picked up the originally the original Gauntlet and all that back in the 80s. I didn't I didn't read it. I reread it probably about or, or read it for the first time like 5 or 6 years ago. It's just something I, you know, never read. And so I can't say I'm a Warlock fan and I never read him outside that Infinity War thing and he's just not a character that I really liked and I read the first issue and it didn't vibe for me. It just didn't it wasn't to my liking. How did it work for you? I thought it was fun. I mean, I liked Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade, and also Warlock in the Infinity Watch, which is what this is really kind of going off of. Okay. So it's set around that time frame. They're adding in a couple of new characters, Eve Warlock versus Adam Warlock. And it's funny because Adam was him, and I think Eve may have been her, because those are great names. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, if you like that old Infinity Watch stuff, this is Ron Mars, Ron Lim. So I, I think they're doing some good stuff here. Exactly. If, if you're a fan of it, this is where you're going to get the material. And that's I a mean, lot of it. If you like this kind of a thing, you'll like this kind of a thing, which is obvious to say. But if you're not familiar with this kind of a thing, I, I don't know that it's really going to set the stage for you. Yeah. Just kind of like if it's James Tiny in horror, I like it you know immediately it's going to be weird. You're not going to like it. Exactly. There's some things just based on the premise. It may be great, and that's exactly why I won't get it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, next question. How is the Mighty Barbarians number one, James? I'm glad you asked me this, Jason. And by the way, Jason's showing me some love with these questions. I appreciate yes, yes, it. He is. Because he usually has all the questions for John. But okay, now this book is by Michael, I think it's Marechi, Marechi, I think that's how you say his name. It's, I'm kind of torn on it. He did the barbaric story from over at Vault, and I feel like that first three-issue uh, barbaric story, he caught lightning in a bottle. It was ho- funny. It was action-packed. There was some characterization in there. I loved it. I, I was telling people, you got to read this. Then he came out with the next two. He did two more three-issue miniseries with the, and basically the same character. One was with like another character with the axe, and they weren't as good as the first, but they were still decent. The first was just the best of the series. Now, I feel like he moved away from what made the series fun, and he went over to a blaze, and he's like, I'm going to do this whole barbarian thing, and I'm going to do a team book. And what he does is he puts some comedy in there, but it doesn't come across very well. Essentially, what he does is he does the, the common mistake of a lot of comic book writers. They watch TV, or they read a novel. And they try to write a comic the way that a TV series or, or a movie is portrayed to us. If, if you, you know this, John. We, mm-hmm. we watch movies all the time. 
they come out with a big action set. Boom, boom, boom. Wow, look at it. Look, explosion. Pow, boom, boom. And same thing with the Barbarians comic. You got this big action sequence. Boom, we're fighting. We have these characters running around chopping and fighting, and they're trying to get out of this building. And then what happens is it slows down, and you start to learn who the characters are later on after they get out of the situation. Well, I have to wait now a month because I have no idea who I am reading about, who these characters are. Yeah, that's, that's just what I was about to say. That works in a movie because if you're in the theater, you're in there for the, the two hours or whatever. If you're at home, you're still sitting there for the two hours. If you watch the first 15 minutes of a movie, stop the, the Blu-ray player or whatever, and come back to it a month later... You're not going to know what's going on. It's not going to work for you, yeah. And that's what he did here. I feel like he's writing this almost like... I, I'm not saying he's doing it like a movie script, but he watches movies, you can tell. And he likes this. And it works. It doesn't work in a month-to-month comic. And so that's where I almost say like a lot of writers today... It, it's cool, and I, I respect it, and they like the medium, and they want to do this thing. you can't, you got to remember, I'm reading it this month and not next month, and I'm not reading the trade. So I would say it's probably going to be great if you pick this up as a trade, but me reading it as a single-issue re- reader, I read this first thing. I'm like, okay, it's all scattershot all over the place. I don't know who anyone is and what's going on. Well, and the other thing there to key on is you're reading it. Yep. Because... Again, mentioning something that feels like a screenplay that was just adapted into a comic. Uh, Space Job feels that way to me. Yeah. Like this was a comedic Star Trek, you know, spoof. It would look great televised, but I'm reading it as four issues of a comic. And you're spread out over four months reading that. I'm spread out over four months, but also I am reading it. And it's so different. There is no actor giving a delivery. Yeah. And that's where I feel like we are. I feel like some readers might pick this up, and I'm guessing, basing on a second issue, fleshing these characters out, and they're probably going to say, this is really good. It's better than barbaric. Me reading this first issue, it's just an action chaotic mess. That's where I am right now. And and so it's it's something that I'm like, I didn't even really talk about it in our monthly comic spotlight, because I'm like, I don't know. That's yeah. where I am right now. I just don't know. Well, again, uh, you do it with a big action set piece that works great in a movie, not so much on paper. It may still be fun and stuff, but it's not as visceral. Yeah. And then I could imagine if they were to take Space Job as is, but put the right actors in the right roles and televise it and me watch it in one sitting, I might actually like it a lot better than I do. Yeah. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about this type of stuff with a later question. Yes, I yes, I, I, I have a feeling. <laughs> I uh, the the final question we've got, I have a lengthy series of answers to. Awesome, it was a great question. All right, next question: What do you think of the end of the current Hulk run, James? <laughs> okay, thank God it's over. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's my answer for Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was horrible. The worst Hulk run that I've can remember reading recently in recent memory. That's a shame. And, okay, Donnie Cates started in a bad direction. He said, hey, I'm going to split up the Hulk into three separate entities. I'm going to have Banner, you know, driving a spaceship. And the spaceship is the body of the Hulk. And then the persona of the Hulk is locked up in a room. And they infuriate him and make him angry and throw characters at him. And it makes the body of the Hulk stronger based on how infuriated it gets. It makes no sense. That's the best way to describe it. Okay, so we've been going with that. And then Donnie Cates is gone, just disappears. Someone steps in, and then Ryan Otley takes over, who's the artist. And Ryan Otley is not a writer. Have you see, ha- heard of him writing anything before? John? No, no. Other than, uh, yeah, he's artist. I Artist, that's it. That's all I know. 
he may have written something, but I don't know. I mean, there are other artists that go into writing, and they've got to start somewhere, and sometimes they do really well out of the gate. Yeah, it's true. He, What I would say is I think he did the best considering he's never written, and he was coming in for like the last, like let's say, four or five issues. Well, I'm picking up somebody else's story. Someone else's story that was already a train wreck. And so it's it was highly confusing, nonsensical. We end up on a Hulk planet, not to be confused with Planet Hulk, a Hulk planet. We're in a mind palace where a character named Titan took over. A fight ensues, and then it, it ultimately it felt like we have multiple issues crammed into this one. It felt so rushed, more info than you ever get in a comic today. And I felt like they led this book out, the editor did, and they shot it and left it in the pasture. It is dead, and we'll have a new number one coming soon. Yeah, it's a shame. That's how it felt. It, it, it was horrible. It was, it was bad. Don't pick it up, please. <laughs> All right. Next question. How was Frank Frazetta Tales of Science Fantasy number one, James? Okay. Opus. This is a shout out for Opus Comics. Opus is doing, this is really weird. They came out of nowhere, new publisher, and they did some books with like rock bands. You know, rock bands writing comics is weird. I'm like, okay, that's a different concept. But they also picked up a Frank Frazetta license and they created this whole Frazetta verse. And so this is going to be a new ongoing quarterly book. And so what they do, literally do is they take a picture that Frank Frazetta did, and he is a famous artist. And this one's called, I'm trying to remember, it was like the Alien Crucifixion. That's what it was. And it's like a six-armed alien, and he's tied to like almost a cross, but in the manner that Conan was in the comics. And they built this whole story and tale around that picture. So how he was a dictator on a planet, and how there was an uprising, and how the dictator's fighting against his own people. and even his own generals are turning against him. And so it was a terrific, terrific book. It was awesome. And it deals a lot with like almost like a fascist leader and how the people ultimately turn on them as soon as they start to lose power. And so it, I, I thought it was terrific. Awesome book. Highly recommend it. Pick it up. Cool. Yeah. So very, very good. Very good. And it was written by someone I, don't, I can't even remember for the life of me. I've never heard of the writer. And the art in these books is fantastic. So just terrific stuff all around. Awesome. All right, next question. Is there a current series, mini or ongoing, that you're truly looking forward to reading every month? I'll let you go, John. I'm going to let you go first. You're going to let me go first? I'm going to let you go first. Okay, I go back and forth on this because like right now, if I'm looking on the on the indie side, I could look at things like those Opix comics I'm enjoying. I'm also enjoying James Tiny and what he's doing. Everything that he does in the indie world is really good whether it be World Tree or Noctera by Scott Snyder, terrific. Over on the Marvel side, it's more, believe it or not, Punisher. And I think it's because I like the character and I like getting all this backstory on him and really knowing who the character is. And then on DC, it's literally anything that Mark Wade is writing. I, and, and it's really that simple. If Mark Wade is writing it, I seem to almost instantly love it. And I can't say that for anyone else. Tom Taylor is really good, but I feel like Mark Wade's even better. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So I, I hate that I gave you like multiple picks, but those are the things I get really excited about when I, when I get it. I'm like, oh, this has come out. I'm ready to read it. Cool. I think for me, this was a harder question to answer than it should be. Okay. Because I mean, what am I truly looking forward to reading every month? And there's a lot that I'm enjoying. But honestly, if I didn't get the next issue of certain titles, the world's not going to end. You know, I'm not, in some cases, really going to miss it. I mean, 
I, I think Mark Wade's doing some terrific stuff. I'm really enjoying World's Finest. That was one of the ones I put on the list of, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The other one, JSA, I think Jeff Johns is doing some great stuff. Yeah, that's true. And there are a lot of other solid books month in, month out, but ones that I'm just chomping at the bit, I just cannot wait to read that next issue. That's a lot harder to to, to come up with. Yeah. That's not good. No, I understand what you mean by that. Like, I have true excitement right now, but now that you phrase it like that, truly, like, if anything that I didn't get, that I'd be really kind of upset. It would have been traditionally in the past Conan, and that's just because I'm such a big fan. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I thought it was terrific. But currently, if I didn't get the next issue of World's Finest, or I didn't get the next issue of The Punisher, I, I probably would send you know Eric an email. But if he didn't send it, I'd be okay. Yeah, and that's where I am. So I can't say I'm truly excited about it. And the, the last book I felt that for was what was that book that I all oh, that weird one that I kept talking about. That was t- not Tinyan. Oh my gosh. About that the weird misinformation. One you kept talking about. The misinformation and the, Department of Truth. Department of Truth. That was the last book that I was so passionate about. I was just excited when I got it. And that was the last one I felt that about. Yeah. And, but it's not coming out anymore right now. It's on hiatus or, or finished or I think it's just not here. <laughs> yeah, there there's not as much that I'm just really excited, chomping at the bit, can't wait to read that next issue to find out what happens next. There's a lot I'm curious about, a lot I do want to read that next issue of, but not it's just not at that level that it had been at in the past. Yeah. You want to know something really weird that I'm really enjoying? And weirdly enough, I think you might like it a little bit. I am a hero, and it's, it's manga. And the reason why I even mention it, and you're going to think, I wouldn't like that when I say this, it's a zombie manga. But it reminds me of The Walking Dead. It's not overly gruesome. Mm-hmm. It's weird that the, the main character's very, very Japanese and almost kind of a little bit antisocial. He's a manga creator. Mm-hmm. And so how this manga creator, and just the way he behaves and acts, you know, like here they're in a zombie apocalypse and they find a little store and there's some beer sitting there and the people want to go get it. And he's like, we, we can't just take it. We're going to destroy societies, you know, societal norms <laughs> if we do. <laughs> just the ultimate Japanese thinking. <laughs> yeah. But and they're like, look at him, they're like, Dude, it's <laughs> come on. <laughs> so, but it, it's really good. I I wouldn't say I'm excited because I already have it, but I'm I'm excited to read it. I think it brings up there could be a very interesting story to be had in you know a post-apocalyptic world. It's suddenly a post-apocalyptic. People are are just now coming out and dealing with it. You know, instant annihilation of half the planet, whatever. Okay, and then people having to to basically renegotiate their ethics Yeah. of, is it okay to just take something from the abandoned convenience store? Do you still feed the, feel the need to pay for it? Does money still have any value? If you let certain things slide, what else do you let slide, and how soon does the anarchy evolve? Yeah. And if you were to do a post-apocalyptic world with that slant, where it's all about morality, that could be very interesting. Yeah. And, and I feel like this book is starting to go down that path. I'm two volumes into it. And it's just fascinating because, you know, he, he even has a gun, you know, and it's so impossible to get a gun in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he has to keep a lock on it and this and that. And he, he reports to the, the local police that he's going to be taking it out at this time for target practice or for hunting. That's the only way. And he licenses and this and that. And anyways, he happened to have a shotgun to be going to the range when this whole thing happened. So he's the only guy who has a gun. 
Yet he keeps it always locked up in this little bag with a lock on it. So when you need the gun, it's not available. <laughs> yeah. And then when he pulls it out, it, like at one point, he's like, I, I can't use this because I might hit someone that I don't intend to. And we must be very safe. And like, come on, dude, you want to – I'm like going Walking Dead, wanting to slap him. But it's it's a different culture, and I understand it. And he's very Japanese and probably a little bit of a I, – I would say maybe some Asperger's there or something, you know, like some societal – He's, he seems awkward a little bit. Well, and definitely trying to do the right thing, but in the process of doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing. Yes, exactly. And that it's so different that I think you would like it. It, it just, it just, it's something that when I say zombie, you would be turned off, but I don't think you'd be turned off because of what the book is. Well, and it sounds like the zombie is more the setting than the focus. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are heartfelt character moments, like little tearjerker moments. And, and I'm only like, Two books into, I have like nine of these books, you know, the whole series hmm. here, or 10 of them. Okay. Good well, stuff. I'll keep that in mind. All right. All right. We got a question from Marvin. This one's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Marvin. All right. Your thoughts on DC's wide line event, Night Terrors. I'm 100% out, which means I may buy two DC issues that month instead of 12 to 15. Fear State was probably my last DC event similar to this one when I did go all in. This is a nice opportunity for me to try other interesting books, which may lead to fewer DC books post-event. Also, annoyed that this event interrupts some of DC's new Dawn of DC miniseries titles, which were just launched, Green Arrow and Green Lantern, for example. Lame. (laughs) There's a lot, lot packed in there with Marvin. Great question. There's frustration in that question. You can feel it. Oh, yeah. And I agree with him. I, 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 I totally feel it, too. Yeah. Okay, I I did a clip for the previous spotlight, and I know that's going to be going up before this comes out. Mm-hmm. And so people have already heard the previews. And I did a thing for Night Terrors, and the reason why I recorded on Night Terrors is like, hey, I'm doing this Night Terrors, whatever it was called, like the the first issue. I'm pulling up my previews right now because I haven't recycled it yet. Night blood Terrors, something or other. First Blood. First Blood. Yeah, and then there's Night Terrors, the main thing that's like four issues. I'm like, cool, I'll get that to find out what's going on. I refuse to get the other, you know, 40 issues or however many issues it is of of just nonsense, like two issue filler of an event that I don't want to read. I want, I'm enjoying Green, or not Green Lantern, I haven't read it yet, but Green Arrow. I'm enjoying that. I want to read that. Hey, I'm enjoying this book. I'm enjoying that book. They're gone. And, And now I have to wait three months to get that. Okay, we had recorded and we talked about Nightwing. Mm-hmm. How I didn't like that Tom Taylor was kind of parking it, doing his Titan story and parking Nightwing. Well, because of this, it's going to get parked even longer. Well, yeah, with with Nightwing, we've got one more Titans issue, a gimmick issue, two months of, of Night Terrors, and then whatever it comes back with. Yeah, so that's so long to get back to the story that I liked. And I'm just like, why? Why why, why, why do this to me? Why? What? What is the... The rationale, it makes no sense. It seems like nobody's excited for this. Well, I have a, a theory, and this is me, the jaded individual, saying this. Okay. I think they're using it to buy time to get everybody back on schedule. I guess. It's two months where all of the books are not being done by the regular creative teams. You want to know what? That makes sense, because if you think about it, we had that little... Um, convergence. Convergence thing that happened when they moved. And look at Marvel. Something happened at Marvel that I'm, I'm starting to think. This whole Sins of Sinister thing. At the same time, they've been announcing the fall, and then they've had some characters write. I think they let the fall 
those writers get caught up and write their stuff and architect it and build it out. And then uh, Hickman and whatever he's doing afterwards, they probably were like doing this stuff to kind of hocus pocus, razzle dazzle while these guys are doing the real stuff over here. Probably. I don't know. I mean, I, I went through that DC Connect and I'm like, I'll, I'm all out on Night Terrors. The premise is off-putting to me. The creative teams, because I looked at a couple of them thinking maybe I'll get the Nightwing one, maybe I'll get this, maybe I'll get that. There were a couple of ones not connected to a current ongoing, and I'm like, why did they pick this character? And then a couple of the ones like the Nightwing stuff, it just didn't appeal to me. So I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm not getting any of them. Wow. I, I'm, I'm still getting about a dozen comics from DC that month. Wow. But, I mean, launching a few titles like Green Lantern and Green Arrow and then interrupting them like this? That's a foolish move and is likely going to kill any story momentum in those titles. Yeah, and Green Arrow, I felt like, was a perfect jumping on comic. It's something where I could say, hey, if you're a fan of Green Arrow, even the TV series, you might want to pick this up. Even though it wasn't like the TV series per se, it's a good book to pick up. It's a good read. Okay, yeah, read it for two issues and wait three months and then read another issue. Well, yeah, I mean, in May, we get the first issue of Titans. We get the first issue of Green Lantern and stuff. So even if those are... A plus material. Can they handle a two month interruption after two, maybe three issues? They killed their own books. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it did not cut into my ordering as much as I was afraid it was, but I, I, I think he's totally right that this is not a smart move. It's going to lead to people getting fewer DC books after the event. Yeah. And interrupting the dawn of DC uh, things that are starting up, whoever greenlit that, I don't know what they were thinking. Just insane. It's like, let's say they're behind. How can the brand new books be behind already? (laughs) You just came out. (laughs) Anyways, whatever. (laughs) To me, it seems like the people who had started the dawn of DC and were overseeing that, and whoever made the decision to do Night Terrors, they just weren't talking and they didn't look at the big picture. From a publishing plan point of view... The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. The guy who knew got fired. If you need to have a two-month buffer to get titles back on track or whatever, yeah, figure out which ones are more in dire need of it than others, and then maybe, I don't know, replace those creative teams. But regardless of that, prioritize those, and then have this kind of a Night Tears thing, you know, roll through the titles to where it impacts a couple every month, but not everything for two months. Yeah, I- I- I'm just frustrated. And apparently Martin is too. I agree with you, Martin. So, yeah. I yeah. Or Marvin. Why did I say Martin? I'm so sorry, I don't Marvin. know why you said that. I was debating if I should correct you or not. Oh my gosh. So sorry. Marvin, my apologies. Viking Joker. Funny. <laughs> All right. Now we've got a couple of questions from Brawlinator, and these go from good to great. <laughs> you got five of them, and I've, I've got a few things to say on the first and a lot to say on the last. Okay. You want me to read them, or you want to read them? I'll go ahead and read them. What does your typical comic reading schedule like? Okay. My typical schedule is I used to read them as soon as they came in. When my books came in, mm-hmm. I'd open them up. I'd read, uh, typically, I could read about seven comics a day. That's where I am. I can fit them in. So, depending on how big my package is done, I could be done in a day or two, or I could be done in three days. Who knows? But now what I do is I let them stack up until after we record the monthly spotlight. So, here it is. May 16th, we just recorded the April spotlight, monthly spotlight. So now I got to read two weeks worth of May and the next shipment's on the way. So I'll probably be reading for the next like week solid, just the comics Mm -hmm. seven a day until I get caught up. And then that last shipment, I'll read it and then we'll be ready to record. That's what I do. 
I mean, the the challenge with the monthly comic spotlight is I don't like reading ahead. Yeah. Because it gets confusing as to, well, did this come out in this month or not? And trying to record too close to the beginning of the month is is troublesome depending when in the week the, the start of the month falls, when the shipment comes out, how many are in that last shipment, how much time we need to read them. Hence, trying to target around the middle of the month or the second week at least of the month to do these episodes. So, I mean, lately I've gotten in the bad habit of waiting until very close to when we're recording the monthly comic spotlight to binge all my books for the month. It's smart because you remember what you read. Some of the stuff I read was a month and a half ago, and it's very cloudy, my memory. I remember better. That's not to say I remember. <laughs> and like, so, so this month, my schedule was essentially procrastinate, did aces on that, read a few indie comics on Saturday like this Saturday, as I'm saying this on a Tuesday, read everything else on the Sunday, prep for this episode on the Monday, record on the Tuesday. That's some cramming right there. I can do about five an hour without feeling like I'm just grinding. No, that's true. I could do that too. Yeah. It's it's not a great workflow. Usually it's not that bad, but there are other things, which is why, I, I mean, sometimes I'm better like right after we do the monthly comic spotlight to get that first week or two read or something like that. Sometimes I'm not. This time I was not. Yeah. But I t- I'll tell you what, based on what you told me and what you do, in my memory, how yours is fresher than mine, I-, I actually considered this month letting it stack up till May 31st or and then just start reading then. And just read them like seven a day until it's time to record. I wouldn't do it until the 31st. I would consider letting them stack up until, say, the 26th. Okay, and then go there from there. Because the 27th and 8th and uh, 29th, that's a three-day weekend. Ah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. That's but true. We still have stuff on the 31st of May, which is a Wednesday, which is a new shipment that comes into the May stuff. So we'll get that end of the week. Now we're a week in, or, you know, three days into June. You know, this is where you can't record the thing too early in the month. Yeah. But I, I like your idea of waiting to read the stuff because when we record the monthly spotlight, it's better if you read it within the last week or so. It's certainly because, fresher for me. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the books that I read a month and a half ago, I'm like, I, I vaguely remember stuff that happened, especially if I didn't like it. Well, and what I tend to do is I tend to take all of the non-Marvel DC stuff, because that's a small set, and just kind of plow through that. It's like, okay, let's knock out the Star Trek, the the Power Ranger stuff, the Walking Dead, and that's like most of it right there. And then it's like, okay, do I have more Marvel? Do I have more DC? Do I want to start with the one that's got more, the one that's got less? Tackle one of those universes. Sometimes I'll chip away at the things that are not in the here and the now, which Marvel has a lot of. Yeah. DC has a fair amount too. And then knock one universe out and then go to the other publisher. Yeah. Sometimes that works better than others. And then after I read each thing, I scribble a couple of notes down. And what I scribble down and what you hear, there's a pretty high correlation. Ah, very cool. <laughs> I-, I just appreciate you don't grill me for, oh yeah, you said it was a surprise ending or a twist here. Tell me more. What was the ending? Uh- <laughs> I would do poorly. I would claim spoilers, of course, but... <laughs> I don't really remember. <laughs> There's a sad amount of this that just doesn't stick in my memory because it's, it's not that memorable. Yeah, it's true. Yet there were a couple of things, like the end of the Nightwing issue. It's like, that's a moment that I don't think I'm going to get what I want out of the next issue, but I like the, the tease and the promise of what I could get out of that next issue. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. There are some things that really stick with me, and that's when I know I enjoyed it. Yeah. That's when you know it's a good book. When you can remember a month, a month and a half later, I'll be like, 
that's a sign it's good. Well, when it's still, you know, bouncing around in your brain thinking, I wonder what is happening next. Could it be this? Yeah. Could it be that? That's good stuff. Yeah. I still remember Punisher Born. It was the four-issue miniseries, Garth Ennis writing about Frank Castle in mm-hmm. Vietnam. That means it was a good story. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff that sticks with me where I can tell you at least the high-level plot of it a couple of years later or a decade or two later, that was a successful story. Yep. Or a really, really, really bad one that's one of my go-to examples of it's crap. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Next question. Can you discuss some of your favorite comic genres outside of standard superhero fare? I have quite a few, actually. I, I, I wrote down three that I really like, and some of them you, you're going to know. Sword and Sandals. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, that that's like the Conan stuff. I mean, I like all of that stuff. And I say to a lesser degree sci-fi. It's fantasy sci-fi. I love that stuff. If I had to pick one, I feel like I like fantasy more. I feel like sci-fi translates better into comics, if that makes sense. Like, it's hard to find a good fantasy comic because fantasy tends to be epic in nature and world building, and that it's really hard to find a writer who can do that well in comics. It's fair. I think there are a lot of comics that have fantasy trappings, whether they've got that epic saga or not. They, they try to make them epic, and they're not. And I would say the closest thing in my mind that falls into that, although it's not what you would standardly think of as a fantasy thing, would be fables. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Fables, Certainly yeah. hits the, the epic aspect of it. Definitely. I would agree with you there. But I, I would say sci-fi is typically done better in comics. You know, if I had to get a stack of good sci-fi comics and a good fantasy comics, sci-fi is going to win usually nine times out of 10. But it's Sword and Sandals. And then my, my, one of my favorite things is war books, mm, yeah, war, war comics. And if I had to nail that down, yeah, I love World War II, but more so than World War II is Vietnam. Like I used to love the Nam that was at Marvel. I love that Frank Castle Bourne. I love gritty war comics, and we don't get very many of those. You see uh, Garth Ennis every now and then, he'll throw you a bone from some publisher, random publisher out there, but nobody does it. And I don't know why, but whatever. And then one of the genres that I really, really, really love is future dystopian books. That's just like right up my alley. And not that I want the world to go to hell in a handbasket. But you want to know how it could. <laughs> I want, exactly. I'm not a prepper. I don't have a bunker anywhere. <laughs> I swear I'm a normal person. But I mean, like, I think that's why Walking Dead works so well for me. I think that's why I'm a Hero works so well for me. I think that's why the Once uh, once in Future, I think that's why, oh, I'm trying to remember that, that there's this new one from Jason Aaron, this new comic that I'm enjoying that he's writing over a boom. It's been very good. What's the Furthest Place from Here by Tyler Boss? There are all these future dystopic takes on the world, and I just like seeing society almost break down. Not that I want it to happen. I just like reading about it. It just I love it. I can't, I can't explain it. Yeah, I think those definitely are, are the genres you tend to gravitate towards. Absolutely. Yeah, from what I tell you. <laughs> How about you? I know, I know your thing is superheroes, so... Well, first, if I wanted to be pedantic, I would say you answered it wrong, because the question was, can you discuss? And the answer is obviously, yes, you can. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I kidding. can. I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for me, the standard superhero fare is my main genre. So, I mean, outside of that, I mean, geez, come on. No. I would go with sci-fi, but I... I figured. I don't really like the dystopic stuff. I'm more for things like, you know, the Star Trek, the Stargate, even the Star Wars, things where, you know... Uh, Everything's not all 
roses and sunshine and stuff, but it's not all hell in a handbasket either. No, 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 it's true. You like what is the one on Hulu? I can't the comics we get uh, the TV series on Hulu that's like Star Trek. Funny. Ah, Orville. I can't remember. Orville. You love those comics too. Yeah. They've been terrific. Yeah, they've been great. But, yeah, you love that stuff. So I, I would say you like that. And but you're really ninety nine percent of what you read. I think is superheroes. You even like the getting the books on the dead superhero universes. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what it was called, but it's something. Oh, the Lost Universe name. thing that Overstreet did. Yeah. Yeah, but beyond that, you do you read a lot of Star Trek and oh, Mighty Marvel Power Rangers. What genre is that? You could argue superheroes because they've got all the trappings, the the colorful costumes, the the quasi superpowers, the the you know that sort of a thing. You could argue sci-fi. So they're they're I mean, Super Sentai I think kind of sort of is its own genre, but it's definitely I think in the uh, the vicinity of superheroes and sci-fi stuff. For me, beyond superheroes, I would say sci-fi is a lot of it. Time travel is a key subgenre of that. But really, if I were to take out superhero stuff out of what I'm reading, once you get past Time Before Time, which is is time travel, the Star Trek stuff, which is sci-fi. Usagi. Usagi. Yeah, that's a good one. Although it's not currently coming out right now, is it? That's that's true. It's It's not. IDW is kind of dying slowly, but uh, Walking yeah. Dead. <laughs> Walking Dead. I'm not sure what else I have on my list. That's true. That's that's kind of scary a little bit. Well, scary, not scary, yes and no, but you know, I'm also reading a ton of novels. I'm reading a, a time travel one right now. That's true. You do read a lot of novels. Well, part of that is when I was doing a little vacationing last year. I did some reading there. Got something read like every day on my Kindle, and I've just kind of kept that streak going. And I'm now, you know, 300 days into that. Very so, cool. and part of it's just, you know, I, I read a chapter or two a day of, of something and keep it going. Very cool. But I, I'll tell you what, I have a fourth that it depends. But if it's done right, I really love it. I, and I know you don't. Horror. I do like horror. I abhor horror. <laughs> so, if, if it's good horror, I'm down for good horror. <laughs> I, I do not need a story to scare me. If yeah. I want that, I'll turn on the news. That's true. That's that's the most horrifying thing. <laughs> All right. Next question. Okay. It's, I think, geared towards me, but I'll let you answer first because I'm curious. Uh, if you had unlimited time and resources to invest in the Comic Book Page podcast, what tweaks, if any, would you make to the podcast, explore other topics, try new approaches, interviews, etc.? Well, I had an idea for like something that I would do if I had unlimited time, mm-hmm. like let's say I'm retired and I really didn't want to read and didn't want to play video games, <laughs> all I wanted to do was this podcast. Apparently, you know, like I, I thought a cool thing, and I'll say it now because I'm never going to do it because I'm not doing this. I, I always wanted to do like a little thing called uh, comic book virgins, and I know that sounds <laughs> that sounds weird. Not people who are shut-ins, but people who have not been exposed to comics. Or manga, or maybe they've read, seen anime or seen cartoons. They watch the, you know, the mm-hmm. Avengers in the movie theater. And what would be the best comic to give them? You know, like let's say I thought it was Wide Last Man, the first trade, or or let's say the first trade of The Walking Dead, or the first trade of whatever the best comic you think that is good for a first time reader, someone who's never picked up anything, who doesn't get all the minutia, and maybe doesn't even know how to follow the bubbles, and have them read it. Tell us what they thought. Was it engaging? Did they did they like it? Was it a bad, good experience? Was it a bad experience? Why 
Why have they never read anything before? Would they read more because of this? And to really get down to the, is it just I'm not a reader and I haven't been exposed? Do I like it or do I hate this stuff? This is nonsense. Like, this is kind of confusing. Why do people read it? To just get to those people who, whether young or old, and just find out why it ticks for me and why it doesn't tick for other people. You know, it's interesting because I could see that working as either like a YouTube thing or I don't know what network would have aired it, like G4 back in the day or something like that. But I would call it Comic Book On Ramp. Yeah, Comic Book On Ramp instead of Virgins. The the format I would have is you start with an introduction to, you know, you give the pitch of the thing if we're going to try to get somebody hooked on comics. You, You get introduced to the person. Here's what they like. You get a mini bio of, you know, they're into sports or they're into, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff or they're into war books or their hobbies are or whatever. And then you've got the comic book expert, whoever that might be. And it's, you know, with the host interviewing them kind of a thing, it's like, oh, well, for this person, I'm picking out this, that, and the, why did you pick that? You know, and then you've got the the handoff on here are the books, go. You cut to a montage of, of them reading over the course of a day, a week, whatever, and come back. Are they hooked? Are they not? Were these the right picks? Were they not? That could be interesting. Exactly. And, and just find out what it is that people like, you know, this is off-putting. I don't know why people do this. Or, wow, this is better than I thought it would be. I'm surprised I never picked up this stuff before. Huh. I knew a guy at one of the stores I shopped at who, at least for me, was doing an incredible job on, you should try this book out. I think you'll like it because. Oh, yeah. And think about it. At the time... I was pretty much all in at Marvel and DC. That cuts the field down a lot. Now, you could say, oh, but that gives so much more of, of what you're reading and what you might like. Well, I'm reading so much that it gives a lot of you know false positives or whatever. But he picked out so many indie books. And some of them, it's like, well, yeah, of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I just didn't know about that one or a few others. It's like, I don't know why you're picking this, but I trust your recommendations. Tried it, loved it. So finding somebody who could do that would be challenging. And then doing them from anyone who's never read a comic to people who have, but like me, are getting a little jaded as they get older, uh, could be interesting. Yeah, so, it'd be fun. I see I, the it, appeal, not something I personally would want to do. No, no, no. I it, This is like a fictional world with unlimited time and budget. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, apparently I'm wealthy and have nothing better. <laughs> but I would do that. I would record it. And I'd even try to figure out how to edit because I don't know. I've never edited before, so you didn't have to do that. And I'd give you the free episodes. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Free content. I, for me, one of the things I'd do if I had unlimited time, resources, et cetera, I'd get someone else to do the editing. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. a huge time sink and something I have never enjoyed doing. Yeah, if you could pay someone X amount of dollars to just go in and edit it and make a sound good and fix the audio or get out the uhs and ums and the false starts and the whatever. That, that'd be awesome. I mean, that having been said, it would probably take me a while to get comfortable with somebody else doing the editing. That's true. Because that can really change. Does somebody sound hesitant? Do they sound unsure? Or do they sound confident? And, and it can put a little bit of a different spin on the conversation. And part of the art of editing is to maintain the integrity of the conversation well, getting rid of the ums, the false starts, the background noise, that kind of stuff. Yeah, very but cool. it sucks to do. <laughs> to the tone of, I've got, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe, episodes in the can that I just need to edit. I mean, I'm ahead on, I think, at least two back-issue spotlights, a number of Friday episodes, 
but just finding the the time and the energy and the wherewithal to edit them takes a little while. Like, uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that that would make sense. Now, well, John, if you want to kick me a few dollars and teach me how to do this, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Hey, if I at some want- point people want to learn how to edit, either to to send in better clips for the preview spotlight or just because they want to know, I'd be happy to do like a Zoom thing at some point, maybe. Hey, you know what? I might want to do that. You know what I want to learn to do? What Brawlinator does, and maybe you could teach me how to do it. Remember how we would do a preview spotlight clip where he put in audio, like Star Wars music? I can show I you how, to, how do to do that. I can't show you to his level. I mean, the guy is a pro at this. That's true. Okay. But I can I can give pointers on you know how I do recording, how I do some of the editing, why I do some of what I do, which is not to say I'm doing it right by any stretch of the imagination. But if you go with the the concept Malcolm Gladwell popularized of, you know, after 10,000 hours, you're something of an expert on something, I've done well over 2,000, maybe 2,200 hours of podcasting at this point, and that's released hours. That's like three or four times the amount of time to actually go do them. By that logic, I am something of an expert on podcasting. Yeah, you are. Which is a scary thought in and of itself. I don't want to learn. (laughs) But I might want to learn how to do some editing a little bit. A little bit. I can teach somebody how to do some of the stuff I do in fairly short order. It's not that hard. I mean, if I can do it, you guys can do it. It's not hard. It's just tedious and time-consuming. Yeah. All right. So. Now, one of the other things is I'd love to do more episodes like the Legion Spotlight, the upcoming Astro City Spotlights, but those take a bit of time doing in-depth runs like that. Yeah. Also require a bit of note-taking for me to kind of keep track of things. And that's one of the areas I'm kind of struggling on with the Legion Spotlight. Yeah, yeah, I was listening to that actually today. I'm getting caught up on my podcast. You do, you go pretty in-depth and you're doing a lot of issues and trying to keep track of everything. That's a lot. I'm about 60 issues in and I've already lost track of a couple of things. Is this the first time we've seen the Legion Constitution? Are these Earth Tubes the same thing that Supergirl did way back when? I don't remember. So I'm trying to find a way to capture and encapsulate that knowledge you know, I'm looking at some stuff for maybe building a wiki and a few things like that. And that's, that's one of the things I'm, you know, is another time sink, but it's fun to do. I'm, I'm into that kind of stuff, but eats up time. Yeah. Now, there was a part of the question of new approaches, interviews and stuff. I've done interviews in the past. Now, given the right person, I'd definitely be game for doing some more of them, be interview or discussions or whatever. But generally speaking, that's not something I'm particularly looking to doing more of. They can be a bear to edit. Doing it for the sake of doing it can be just kind of awkward. I've had one or two in the past where I basically gave some people free reign to promote anything and everything they wanted to do, and I was getting like one-word answers out of them. Wow. And I'm like, this is just no fun. (laughs) I've had one other that I had to edit where there was a bird squawking in the background the entire time, and there's no editing that out. That's awesome. <laughs> I've done interviews on the floor of San Diego Comic-Con, and there's the roar of the background and stuff, and that they could be good interviews. I think some of them were very good interviews. Some of them maybe not so much, but it's not my happy place. No, I can understand that. Now, you give me an opportunity to have some in-depth discussions with a couple of key people, I would totally be down for that. Yeah. You know, if Mark Wade wanted to come on and just shoot the bull for a while... Invitation is open if he wanted to do it. Love to do that. And Mark Wade likes to talk. He I likes to talk. He's got tons to say. He's been around the industry. He is a, a walking encyclopedia on comics. Man, I would love to talk to him about the process he used to put together the 
official index to the Legion of Superheroes that the independent comics group did back, I want to say, in the 80s. I mean, yeah, it's be- one thing to have that sort of encyclopedia knowledge in your head, but to then spill it out into a really good reference thing, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, that's insane. So, now, if, if listeners have suggestions for other topics, approaches, other stuff like that, I am always open to that. I can be reached on the Slack channel, via email, you know, whatever. So, I guess for me, if I had unlimited time and resources, I would be doing a lot more episodes. I would be having somebody else edit them, because that's no fun, but I'd need to get to where I could trust them on that and get what I want out of it. And a lot of it is just the time it takes, because like that Legion Spotlight I did, that took me... I'm trying to remember if there were some where it's like I spend one entire evening reading and recording and another one editing it just to tighten it up and and stuff like that. So those episodes, even though they're not that long, they take a good couple hours to do. They're fun, but they're time consuming. Now, the truth of the story is I know the real change. John would pay Mark Wade seven figures, teach him to edit and put James out the pasture. No, no. (laughs) I wouldn't waste Mark's time editing. (laughs) He'd be your co-host from here on out. It would be a totally different thing, because I would be the guy who's the noob who doesn't know much compared to him. Yeah. You'd be like, "Uh, can you explain to me again? He'd be like, come on, I've told you this before. (laughs) He's a really good guy, fun to listen to, fun to talk with and stuff. I've had the opportunity a few times and enjoyed it. And I have seen him single-handedly defeat a team of four really knowledgeable trivia experts on comics. That's insane. And he's a very nice guy, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which just is the icing on the cake. (laughs) I am so happy to see him back writing at DC, because that's where he ought to be. Yeah, his books are the best. All right, next question. As a longtime listener, I've noticed a creeping trend of less enthusiasm with several of the books you've been reviewing. (laughs) If true... Would you chalk that up to a trend of lower quality in those comics lines, a general lowering of interest in the hobby, or both, or something else? Uh, you want me to go first? Or you that's go a first? really good question. I'll let you go first. Okay, I'll go first. Sure. Okay. Yes. I will say yes. There is a, a, a noticing less enthusiasm, and I, I think that is true. Some of it, I think there is a lower quality in the comics, and by lower quality, I'm not talking about art per se or number of pages you're getting. I'm not talking even about decompression. I'm talking specifically about writers, writers who are being hired, who have never written comics and who are are being handed the reins to top tier books and were expected to wait while they have their training wheels on. Writers who are writing for movies and for graphic novels and are not writing for a monthly comic and have no respect for the monthly readers. And then it does give me a lowering interest in the hobby because I feel like I'm not respected. And at that point, I'm like, I can read novels and get more enjoyment for people who really want to write a good story and tell a good story versus people just keeping an IP alive. And that's how I feel like I'm treated sometimes. I feel like, oh, here, here's the Captain America book because we got to keep the IP going. Or here's the Superman book because we want to keep the IP going. And it's all for the movie. It's all for the television series. It's not for the monthly reader. I feel like I'm just a bygone. And so with that disrespect, I feel like, and that's what I would call it, a disrespect for the monthly reader. I feel like I'm less enthusiastic about it. I really am. I can totally understand that. And for me, I mean, it's it's not Rollinator's imagination. Maybe I've just become a more jaded reader. I think there's an aspect of that. I think as any audience member partakes more of, be it movies, television, music, 
sports or comics or whatever, you become more immersed in that world. You have different expectations. The first time you go to a football game, if some guy fumbles, it's like, ah, it happens. You know, you've been watching 10 years and stuff. There are certain fumbles. It's like, no, they should have caught it. They just didn't know what they were doing. Others, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, because you become more aware of that space. Yeah. I've been reading comics for well over 40 years. I've got 70,000 of them. I know comics reasonably well. My expectations of story, storytelling style, where it should go, how it should be told, art, what I like, what I don't like, when it is badly drawn, whether I like it or not. So I think there's an aspect where, does that make me jaded or more informed, tomato, tomato? I think there's a combination of the material being, in some cases, of lesser quality to a degree, from a, a I think, an a objective empirical point of view, and there's also an aspect of, regardless of any of that, it's aimed to a different audience than I fit into at this point. Yeah. So I don't think I am the audience they're going after. Now, somebody who's got the time and interest to read and the money to spend on the hobby, why they wouldn't target somebody like that, I don't know, but okay. But there's an aspect for that constant swing and a miss for so much of what I'm reading. I mean, it's good, it's not hitting that home run, and those home runs are coming fewer and further between for me. Yeah, I'm a bit less interested these days. You know, yeah. there, there aren't that many comics. I'm just chomping at the bit to read immediately, hence the waiting until closer to recording the monthly comic spotlight to do a lot of the reading. Very true. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for me to get my new comics box on Thursday or Friday and wait until open it up until Monday evening, or in some cases, two or three of them in a row, to, to get those videos up. Yeah. No, it's very true. Everything you're saying. You, you know what? Another thing that happened recently, I kind of had an epiphany one time when I was reading my manga. And I, I am a manga reader, and I, I've been enjoying it. And people keep wanting to say, ah, it's better. You know, it's better. I wouldn't say it's better. It's curated. You get the yeah. best stuff. The best stuff is published here. The, the, the not good stuff is not published here. Well, it, it's curated, and it's bigger, more satisfying doses. Exactly. We're getting, and that's the epiphany I had. When I, when I pick up a, a manga, I'm able to go out and typically, if I like something, pick up all the episodes or all the, the issues. Volumes in, in or whatever. The, yeah, volu- yeah. yeah, and these big books. So, so this one big book that I'm holding, if I am a hero, which is like an omnibus volume, probably has about 30 or 40 issues of, that came out in weekly shonen comics or jump this, jump that. Everything's called jump over there. How many pages is each of these, these collections you're getting? What, 200 and something? Uh, the manga, let's, let's say it's 300. Or, or the, the, this one, because it's an omnibus. It's 300 pages. Okay. So you figure average American comic is 20 pages. 10 issues, that's 200 pages, so you're getting 15 issues in a single chunk, and it's going to be a more satisfying read because it's a bigger installment. That just, that's math. That's math. And, and, and so what's happening is I think people read it, and I'm they're like trying to compare this 30 issues to this one floppy comic that comes out, and you can't compare that. You have to read this one little bit, wait a month, then read this one little bit, and then wait a month, and nobody would do that, and they wouldn't like it. So it's different. But so what I'm realizing is I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like reading big chunks. And if that's the case, and they're not giving me writers who are writing for a monthly reader, to, you know, like a, a, a one-issue story or something to catch me up in the book, that it almost makes me want to. And I don't want to leave the, the single-issue mark. I really don't want to. To just say, the hell with it. I'll just read 
when something's good, oh, cool, I'll just read that big volume of it. Whether it's an omnibus, whether it's a trade paperback, why, why am I the why am I the guinea pig? <laughs> well, if the manga is working because it's curated, and I think there's a definite aspect of that that makes sense, you can let the American side be curated by waiting. Yes, exactly. And, and I think if I waited, and, and let's say I had never read Western comics, and the first thing I pick up, and you pick your best comic, mine, my favorite's Why the Last Man. And I was able to go and pick up all the volumes of Why the Last Man in trade paperback. I'd say, these are the best things ever. Are you kidding me? Well, Why are you guys not reading this stuff? <laughs> if you then followed it up with, say, Watchmen or Kingdom Come or Camelot 3000 or anything else that is widely held up as being some of the best stuff, and you only pick from the cream of the crop, yeah, it's going to seem better because it is. Yeah. It's also not representative. Exactly. Walking Dead. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Not realizing that Robert Kirkman had written 20 stinkers out there. <laughs> yeah, if you flip out that for, for Battle Pope, maybe it doesn't look so good. Exactly. Or, or, or Firepower that's coming out right now. <laughs> You'd be like, eh, it's not that great. <laughs> uh, so it, that's where I'm saying, like, I feel like comics right now, are there's not enough readership here in the U.S. currently to pay for writers who know how to write comics. The writers who know how to write comics, they aspire to do something else. They aspire to be a TV show writer or a movie writer, and I cannot blame them for that. They want to be paid. They want to make money. They want to have the, their dreams, you know, buy a house and have a retirement and not, not be working month to month and living hand to mouth. I respect that, and I, I, I understand it, and that's kind of where we are. It, it, it feels like once you get successful writing the comic, your next move is to go to movies or TV and leave the industry. Well, to, to make money. To make money. And, and, and we don't have a big enough readership. And so I feel like it's a problem that can't be fixed. It's going to be people that are new writers. or And, and, and then they're writing for the TV show because they don't want to be doing this. They don't want to be doing this. They want to be doing the movie. They want to be a screenwriter. They want to be a showrunner. They don't want to do comics. That's how I feel. Well, and whether they want to do comics or not, if they're making a better living doing being a showrunner or a TV writer or whatever, I don't fault them for that. Exactly. I can't be angry because I, wanted, I want a better life. You want a better life. <laughs> We're not writing comics. <laughs> there are a lot of, of credits on TV for showrunners and writers and stuff like that that I recognize from comics of 10, 15 years ago, yeah. or sometimes more recently even. So I, I certainly don't fault them for that. But it's it's a problem for the industry. It is a problem. And how do you fix that? That's that's a bigger issue. Well, it's funny you mention that because I'm going to put out the next question, but we're not going to answer it just yet. Okay. That'll become another episode. Okay. Brawlinator's final question, and I have lots of thoughts on this one. Okay. What changes could modern comics make that would excite you or could improve the reading experience for you? Okay. In other words, there's all of this that's wrong. What can be done to fix it? And I've currently got, I don't know, five or six kind of either mini rants or full-blown rants on that. But we've been talking a bit for this, so I think we're going to cut this conversation at this point. That work for you? That works for me. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.